Welcome, everybody, to episode one of Stirring the Pot. My name is RJ, along with Gabe, Cameron, and Connor. What's good? Welcome, everybody, to the inaugural episode. I can't wait. I'm super excited to be here with you guys and get this show on the road. Starting off, the highlight game of the week. Colorado going into TCU and pulling off the upset. Connor, how do you feel about it? I mean, it's it's a huge game for Colorado's program. I mean, going into Fort Worth and taking in taking TCU 45-42, that's that's impressive. Very high-scoring game. That was something that I was not expecting. I had TCU winning, but Colorado proved me wrong and Deion Sanders kind of showed why he was the main stuff. Gabe, what do you feel about Deion Sanders? Well, I love primetime. He, um, he's a different personality than other coaches. He's really unorthodox in his approach with his players. Um, and he is officially, in my opinion, really become the number one recruiter. 50 recruits came in this year after losing 46. You just don't do that overnight. It, it was very impressive. Also, yeah, but some new guy, well, especially with Travis Hunter, the main guy, along with his son, Sidur Sanders, were newcomers to that team from Jackson State. Cameron, how do you think that Colorado offense played that game? Oh, do I love to Shador Sanders. Shador Sanders is him. Travis Hunter is him. And Dylan Edwards is him. Shador Sanders threw for 510 yards. That is a school record. Huge. Travis Hunter did amazing on offense. He had a lot of amazing catches, but... I think he did better on defense, too. I think he was more impactful on defense, especially in that third quarter with that interception. That shocked me as well. Overall, I think this is a great, great offense. Dylan Edwards went off, had, I think, a 74-yard touchdown. Other than that, I love this offense. Absolutely. I mean, I agree. They came to play. and I mean, TCU came to play, too. Running back, Imani Bailey. 14 carries, 164 yards, and 11.7 yards per carry. This TCU team, mind you, they gave it all they got. They played really well. Like, if it wasn't for, like, Colorado going off, I think TCU would have pulled away. It's just Colorado got the best of them, and I think it's something to keep a note of um, for their upcoming game against Nebraska. I think that's something that we'll definitely keep an eye on. Next game, we're going to talk about Clemson traveling the Duke and losing by three touchdowns. Gabe, talk about it. Tell us what happened. Well, as like you guys know, I had Duke winning this game. I had it a lot closer. Um, I'm honestly kind of disappointed in the passing game. Ryan Leonard did not have as an impactful passing game as I thought he was going to have, but his rushing game was outstanding he had a big touchdown where he was just breaking tackles left and right had 98 total yards and that one td the overall rushing game was great especially in the fourth quarter it really pulled through because clemson had a bunch of miscues offensively that duke really took advantage of and they never looked back absolutely i agree and one play i will specifically mention out for um duke's defense pulling away Will Shipley's tipped ball that Duke intercepted, I think, was the tip on the cap for this game, considering that Klubnik had a chance before that to kind of revamp up and kind of lead a team to a comeback. 
But just after that interception, after the miscue by Shipley, it just, I think, went downhill even more from there. And I think that's kind of when everybody knew this game was over. Connor, about Cade Klubnick, what did you think about his performance? I mean, coming out of high school, Cade Klubnick was a very highly touted prospect. Uh, he was the number one uh, dual threat quarterback in his class. 27 of 43, 209 yards, one touchdown to one interception. And this stat coming up next is something that is absolutely abysmal. The, one of the lowest yards per completion I've seen from a D1 quarterback, 4.9. Wow. An unranked opponent? You can't be doing that in Dabo Swinney's offense. Especially yeah, for a top 10 team like Clemson like that. You can't, you, can't just, you can't play like that. There's no excuse for it. And I think that Duke just kind of just showed them what they were about and kind of exposed them on national television. And Cam, I want to bring you in for this point. Duke's uh, split running back offense. How do you think the running backs did for Duke? Incredible. But I will say the Clemson offense was extremely sloppy. But regardless of that, these two played phenomenal. They had Jordan Waters, 5.7 yards a carry, and Jaquez Moore, 5.4 yards a carry. That enough alone is impactful to any offense, no matter who you are. Absolutely, especially that both of them had a touchdown in Duke's blowout win. Next, then, we're going to go to number eight FSU against number five LSU. I don't think any of us really were expecting Florida State to be that dominant of a team. Connor, what do you think about how uh, Jordan Travis played? How did you think he did? Jordan Travis is that Man, he's, I, I said it before, I'll say it again, he's one of the most highly accurate quarterbacks in the FBS. He's got a very good QBR every year. I do think he reads the he reads the field very well. Uh, 342 yards, four touchdowns, and a pick with a, with a 94.7 QBR. I guess a number five opponent? That's an amazing stat line for him. I think coming off of last year's campaign, I think he had a pretty good campaign last year. If he keeps this up, I think he could be in the Heisman candidacy. I I agree with that very well. A very good QB to watch. Gabe, how do you think, though, against the other quarterback, Jane Daniels, how do you think he played for LSU? Daniels, in my opinion, he didn't play bad, but as advertised, he did not live up to the hype. Um, He had a lot of completions, 22 for 37. It's a pretty decent you know, completion to attempt, but three the one touchdown, one interception ratio. That's not what you want from a guy who was a who is a Heisman candidate. That's not the touchdown scoring ratio you want. He did have three hundred forty seven yards, which already puts him on track for a career high in passing yards, as he's never hit three thousand yards in a single season. That wow, that's something I thought he would have hit it. That's something very interesting he's that you note out. Also never hit twenty touchdowns wow. passing. His rush game, 15 carries. You know, he's a scrambling quarterback, but 15 carries is a big task and haul for your quarterback. That is, I completely agree. That is not something you want to try and put on the quarterback every game. But switching sides, Florida State's receiver, Keon Coleman. Cam, tell us about it. How'd he play? Dog. He was a dog. Nine receptions, 122 yards, and three touchdowns wow i say three i think 
His his route running was phenomenal. I think he was able to get off of corners very easily, and with the help of Jordan Travis, he did phenomenal. Absolutely, I think he gave him a lot of good opportunities and just gave him a lot of good passes that just let him go off like that. I completely agree. Sticking with the receivers though, but with a different team, Brian Thomas Jr. though from LSU again in that game, seven receptions. 142 yards and a touchdown, averaging almost basically 20 yards a catch. I mean, I think that made Daniels look a little bit better, but just overall, that's very good to see that he wasn't necessarily the top guy. People think Malik Neighbors is going to have a stat like that, but he overall kind of led that LSE receiving core that game, and I thought that was pretty interesting considering I thought Neighbors was going to get most of those um, stats. Um, our final recap game, uh, before we get into the AP poll, West Virginia traveling to Happy Valley and not not the type of team we thought we were going to see on defense. Connor, how do you think the secondary did? I mean, I think the secondary did about as good as they could have against Penn State. I mean, it's number seven Penn State. We're not going to be able to do that much. But there are a lot of concerns with those with those zone coverages. I think we really need to sit back in those zones. And you saw us. We were getting torched. Like, play in, play out. Everybody was wide open. It was not good. I completely agree. Like, they had almost, like, five yards between the corner and the receiver, which I think you can't do with a team against Penn State because they're just going to outplay and they're going to show you why they deserve to be ranked number seven at the time. And I just think that was – it was just a good performance by Penn State on offense and Drew Aller overall – Gabe, how do you think Garrett Green did, though? Give us some insight on how you think he did. I felt like Garrett Green did well for what he had. Um, his rushing game was the number one focus for Penn State as he is very good at using his feet, and he showed that. He he was scrambling out of the pocket. It was hard to take this man down in the pocket. Passing game, though, is another story. It was a rough night for him. He didn't really turn the ball over. He played, honestly, smart. For what I've seen, he was very poised and when he was running and you know running away from a 250 pound lineman is a scary thing and he looked very in control when he was using his feet i completely agree all right then cam i'm gonna ask you then which west virginia receiver kind of gives you some more hope for us as we go to continue down the season uh i'm gonna say devin carter he's the nc state transfer last game he had six receptions for 90 yards average 15 yards a catch but other than that I don't see really any other hope for this receiving core. I think if you're going to beat Duquesne, you got to lead off Devin, Devin Carter and Jeremiah Aaron. But other than that, I hope Garrett Green goes off and throws a bombshell. That's the hope going into the home opener next week. We, we all got to hope. And so then going into the AP poll, I think something some things that shocked some of us, but others that were expected, I'm going to go 25, then down up to one for everybody. So Clemson is at 25, Tulane at 24. We have Texas A&M at 22, or 23, my apologies. Colorado at 22, going from non-ranked up to ranked after finishing 1-11 last year. Very good effort by them. Duke at 21, we have Ole Miss at 20, Wisconsin at 19, 18 is Oklahoma, 17 is North Carolina, 16 is Oregon State, 
15 is Kansas State. 14 is LSU dropping down after the loss to Florida State. Oregon at 13. Utah at 12. Texas at 11. Notre Dame at 10. Tennessee at 9. Washington at 8. Penn State at 7. USC at 6. Ohio State dropping to 5. Florida State jumping up to 4. Alabama jumping up to 3. And then the top two staying the same with Michigan and Georgia. Gabe, I'm going to go to to you first. Where do you think about Clemson's rank? Do you think they should have been ranked higher or lower, or do you just like the way they're ranked right now? I strongly believe that Clemson should be ranked higher. Um, they're 25th, which is the last spot. I think they should be in the low 20s, high teens range. They, they lost a season opener. It's a new team under a new quarterback. It's a shaky start. Duke was no bum. They were a great team, 5-3 and three last year in conference play. It wasn't like they were versing anyone bad, and you know, the top, a lot of the top 10 teams, you know, excluding Florida State, of course, they played not the greatest opponents, and they all pretty much had shaky starts. That is very true. Most of the top teams did look pretty shaky against some questionable competition. Cam, I'm going to go to you next. What do you think about where Notre Dame is ranked? Because that is a controversial topic here to some. I think Notre Dame should be below Texas, and that's it. I think Notre Dame did show a lot of their offense throughout the okay teams they played. I think Texas looked phenomenal when they beat the bricks off of Rice and JT Daniels. But other than that, I think I think that Notre Dame should be below Texas. Yep, that's something I think I can kind of agree with you with. I think just Notre Dame has a little bit more to prove before kind of their first test which I think for me I would have to say is against Ohio State that's obviously probably going to be their first big test Connor then going to you Florida State where do you how satisfied are you with the ranking high or a little bit higher a little bit lower or just right for you Uh, I do like Florida State in the playoff race right now Uh, I do however think that they should be in the top three I think they should replace Bama as number three Bama did look very shaky in their game against Middle Tennessee. And I think Florida State, with their strength of schedule and the fact that they played number five LSU and took it to them, I think they should I think they deserve the number three spot. I think I mean I'm gonna agree with you that too. I think Florida State just played obviously a better opponent and just overall wasn't really too close of a game that people were expecting. When you saw last year's matchup, you were thinking, oh, it's gonna be close. But this time I think, however, I mean it was just Florida State had them in every margin that they wanted, and I think Alabama really hasn't played anybody. So, I mean, I'd have to agree with you there. And It's very close in the poll, only a 40-point difference between the two. I, I think you also have to mention Florida State had more first, you know, first overall votes than Bama, if you, if you look there. They oh, had, yeah, yeah, you're right. They had three votes, yeah. and Bama had none. They were, they were running up to Georgia. That's very – yeah, I'm shocked. I'm shocked very that – even with that many first place vote, which isn't too too much, but still having more than Bama like that, and them still being under, I think is a little bit surprising to most of us. Now getting into this week's action, Connor, get us started with Ole Miss and Tulane. Here we go. Number twenty, Ole Miss traveling down to Louisiana to play number twenty four ranked Tulane. So last week Tulane had a game against South Alabama. Uh, They finished that 37-17, got business done. Uh, Tulane's quarterback, Michael Pratt, however, 14 of 15, 294 yards and four touchdowns. He did, however, add on 11 carries with 39 yards. 
And I think that shows something about Tulane's offense. Tulane wide receiver Jaquan Jackson had three catches for 106 yards and two touchdowns, so he looked like Pratt's main guy. And I think that Tulane offense was, however, rolling. Even though it was a close 20-point victory against South Alabama, many people see South Alabama as one of the worst teams in the FBS. But a win is a win. On the defensive side of the ball, they forced five turnovers, uh, they allowed 265 total yards, 190 passing, and 76 rushing. Uh, they produced five sacks, seven tackles for loss, three passes defended, two picks, and three forced fumbles. Now, the highlight defensive players. Mr. Corey Platt Jr., linebacker. 15 total tackles, 10 solo, one sack, and t- one tackle for loss. And then you have Patrick Jenkins at defensive line. Five total tackles, three solo tackles, two sacks, two tackles for loss, and one of those three forced fumbles. Now, I think Tulane had a very good game this week, but when you look at the strength of their opponent, it does seem a little shaky. Now, going to Ole Miss. Wow, wow, wow is the only word I can use to describe that. Number 22, Ole Miss gave it to Mercer, 73-7. And my man, Jackson Dart, 18 of 23, 334 yards, and four touchdowns. Now, the important thing to note with that stat line, what makes that so impressive for me, he only played five minutes into the third quarter, which I think is incredible. Yeah, I'm about to say, even add on to that, that's just even insane. I mean, he basically only played around like a half of football and putting up that stat line in one half, my Lord, just the amount of potential Jackson Dart has, I think is more than people expect. Yeah. When you think about it, if you average out those stats, if he kept going at that rate, he'd have 600 yards in a game. Jeez. Now his weapons surrounding him, I think is a massive thing to look at for the rest of this season. Wide receiver Trey Harris had six catches for 133 yards and four touchdowns. That is massive for a wide receiver, even more than a hat trick of touchdowns. Now, defensive side of the ball, they dominated. Three turnovers forced, 235 total yards, 142 of those being pass, and 93 of those being rushing. They produced four sacks, 11 tackles for loss, four passes defended, a pick, and two forced fumbles. They had two highlight defensive players in my eyes, one being a defensive tackle, Xavier Harris, uh, six total tackles, four solo, one sack, and two and a half tackles for loss, and then Sunterine Perkins, at linebacker, nine total tackles, four solo, one sack, one tackle for loss, and one pass defended. Now, Ole Miss is the road team here, but they are still slated at a 77.4% chance to win. Now, Tulane's home crowd is no joke, but Ole Miss has a very balanced offensive game plan, and Jackson Dart, I believe, is a Heisman sleeper this year. Uh, Tulane do focus a little more on the run game, and Ole Miss did show that they do have a good run defense, only allowing 93 yards to an arguable better opponent. But I think Ole Miss edges this one out. I think they take it 35-17. Wow, very good prediction and a very good game to watch as well next then going into smu and oklahoma gabe take it away 
Well, this week's game, you know, Oklahoma is versing a much harder opponent than Arkansas State, which who they took care of, 73 to nothing. And I don't care who you are as an FBS school, getting a shutout is outstanding. I was about to even add on just a little bit of a take care of just casually beating with 73 to nothing, I think is a very impressive feat for sure. Yeah, Dylan Gabriel, he had a down year last year for OU. Um, you, you're coming into like the the roles of like Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray, and he didn't play up to those standards, which are very hard to do. But he looked very, very good this game. He had 19 for 22, 308 passing yards, with a quarterback rating of 234. Two touchdowns, no interceptions, one rushing touchdown. That's a legit college quarterback if you look at that for an OU team. Running back didn't really have a great of the game. Another senior, Marcus Major, nine carries, 31 yards, but he did have a touchdown, so they did show that they can utilize running backs. But the real story, I think, for Oklahoma is the receiving game. Their offensive coordinator, he wants to rotate six or seven wide receivers. You can take two things from that. They have six or seven really good wide receivers, which I can really see. One of those being Andrew Anthony, transfer from Michigan. Three catches, 66 yards only, but he looks poised to show Michigan what they're missing. But you can also see he doesn't really have a number one guy. They have very inexperienced wide receivers, so maybe he's really just trying to find that number one option for Gabriel because, as we know, number one options for quarterbacks are heaven. Xavier Worthy, Malik Neighbors, Marvin Harrison, those guys make their QB's job so much easier. On the defensive side... For Oklahoma, Danny Stutzman is a future NFL player. He is outstanding. He flies all over the field, and he really controls the defense. He His play recognition, he knows what's going to happen. Without him, you know, it, it's like a general going in the battlefield. He is outstanding for Oklahoma. But they're not going to have no slouch against SMU. They just came off a great victory, 38-14 to against Louisiana Tech. You know... Preston Stone is that guy, a former four-star recruit, rated fifth dual-threat quarterback in his class. This was his second career start. He was 23 for 37 with 248 yards and three touchdowns. No interceptions, I might add, which is always great for your quarterback to have. The running backs, two transfers, one from Miami, the other from Texas A&M. Jalen Knighton from Miami, 17 carries, 64 yards. It's a very decent stat line, but L.J. Johnson Jr., sophomore transfer from Texas A&M, 14 carries, 128 yards, and a touchdown. That is 9.1 yards per carry, which is unstoppable if your running back is is just hammering down that much. Also, their top receiver seems to be their tight end. R.J. Maryland, a sophomore, played his true freshman year and looks solid. He's poised for another very good year, maybe even better. Hit five catches for 58 yards and a touchdown last game. Defensive-wise, this is a whole new SMU defense. Their defense was their weakest unit. It cost them a lot of games, but they wanted to fix the defense, and they fixed it with transfers. Seven total transfers. 
and the only returning starters are all seniors, so they're very experienced in this SMU defense. They had six sacks last game against Louisiana Tech, so they've already established what they want to do. They want to bring pressure to these quarterbacks, which makes their secondary's life a whole lot easier. Elijah Roberts, a senior transfer from Miami, had a sack, which doubles his career total. You got Alex Kilgore, a true freshman, two sacks in his debut in the linebacker position. And Charles Woods, a transfer from West Virginia, he had a pass deflection. And if this guy can stay healthy, he can really play. He was a former preseason Big 12 first team player. So he can really live up to that hype if he can stay healthy. It looks like a really offensive-driven game. Key third downs are going to come into play. Again, offensive miscues I can really see happening, and that can really show the difference. But I feel like Oklahoma will pull this one out in a heat storm in Norman, 28-24. to I think that's going to be a fun one to watch. You're right in Norman. Then, next, going into Texas A&M in Miami. Cam, tell us about it. So, Texas A&M beat New Mexico 52-10. to Miami beat Miami of Ohio 38-3. to That is a combined score of 90-13. to Wow. So, yeah. more, more offensive written for these two teams. Oh, yeah. So, for Texas A&M, Connor Weigman, he's a sophomore quarterback. Had a great game. He went 18-23 for 236 and had five touchdowns with 78.3 comp. Even though it was against New Mexico, he showed great leadership and he was very comfortable in the pocket. He was very comfortable with his offensive line. Evan Stewart, the former All-ACC wide receiver and All-American, was the main option for Texas A&M. He had eight receptions, 114 yards. He averaged 14.4 yards a catch and two touchdowns. What impressed me the most about him is that he is one of the best players and that his run game really, really showed that. Noah Thomas is 6'6 and is a receiver. He is a former four-star recruit and played a, another big role with three touchdowns and 74 yards. Now, the defensive side for Texas A&M, Josh DeBerry. He was a former three-star DB and the all-second ACC team last year. He played hard and smart and included seven tackles and snagging an interception. Now on to Miami. Henry Parrish, the junior running back from Miami, played a great game in week one. Good and great. He had 90 yards for 10 yards of carry with a touchdown. Throughout the game, he ran right through Miami of Ohio's defense and showed phenomenal strength. The key for Miami, one of the two keys, is Colby Young. He's a junior. He's the wide receiver one for the Hurricanes, and probably the best option. He had four receptions for 79 yards and a touchdown. Along with that, 19 yards a catch. That's pretty big. And the second key, Tyler Van Dyke, the heart and soul of Miami. The junior quarterback had an okay game. He went 17-22 with 201 yards and averaged nine yards a throw. Along with this, one touchdown and an interception. Now, I will say, watching this game, he looked very nervous in the first half. He threw a pick in the first quarter, and he looked a little down going off the sidelines. But once he got back on for the next series, he looked like everything was all right. Now, for Miami's defensive side, Francisco Marigoa, all right? He was a transfer from Washington State, and he had a great sophomore year, which included 60 total tackles and a pick. He is looking to explode in his junior year. In the game against Miami of Ohio, he had five tackles, but was able, was able to make the QB go out of the pocket and had great pass pressure. 
Now, my prediction for this game, ESPN has been giving them ESPN has given them a 53% chance to win this game. Now, this is only because it's in Miami. I think if this was in Texas A&M's backyard, this would be a completely different ballgame. But, however, I do think in Miami, the Aggies will pull off a 31-17 to victory. So you're going with the road team Aggies in a game that could be 50-50 either or. Yes, sir. I think that's going to be a good one to watch as well. Now, going into the, then the top matchup of this weekend, Texas traveling the Bryant-Denny Stadium to face Alabama in 11-3 matchup. Wow. Horns Can't wait. Sir. Horns down, baby. Horns, Horns down. Oh, God. Now, then, we're going to look now to start with Alabama's defense. They forced a fumble and got an interception last game against Middle Tennessee State, so they were uh, involved in turning the ball over, which is a very good sign for the Crimson Tide. They allowed 211 yards, 133 passing, and then 78 were rushing, so almost kind of is towards the middle, but mainly more passing yards allowed, which could be something to keep an eye on for Quinn Ewers. But then staying with the Alabama defensive side, Kool-Aid McKinstry is going to be not only known for his name, but I think he'll make a good impact in the game against the Longhorns. He had two solo tackles and an assisted tackle, which not as much production as you'd like to see, but I think now heading up, ramping into a big opponent like Texas, I think you're going to see more impact out of him. Also, Caleb Downs, another defensive back to pair with McKinstry. He had six solo tackles and two assisted tackles in his game as well against Middle Tennessee State. I think those two are going to be key, key factors for this defense because if they both are off their game, Texas could have a field day, and I think that's something that we're going to keep an eye on, that they just have to be on the top Texas receivers. I'm going to go over here in a minute, and I just think overall they need to play really good. And with pressuring Dante Lawson, the linebacker, I think he needs to get some pressure in there. He had four solo tackles and a sack last game, so I think he needs to bring the pressure and make Ewers make quick reactions and try to make him to make a mistake. And leading into that, then we're going to switch sides then to offense for Alabama. Jalen Milrow, 13-18, 194 yards, and he had three touchdowns passing the football. But however, he can also be a threat rushing the ball. Seven carries, 48 yards, and two touchdowns running the ball, which kind of shows to me like him being a major X factor for the offense is going to be his ability to be a dual threat, both passing and running the ball. I think if he's only limited to just one, like if he's only limited to just passing the ball, because they're covering him very well, forcing him to like move outside the pocket and throw the ball. I think it could be a little bit more shaky for Alabama because he's used to doing both. So I think in my opinion, they need to open the offensive line for Alabama needs to open up um, rushing lanes for Milrow as well. Speaking of the rushing, though, we're going to end the switch on to the running back for Alabama. Jace McLennan had 10 carries and 39 yards, so he averaged 3.9 yards a carry. I think as a running back, not as much production as you want to see from a Nick Saban-led team, but I think if more chances come down the line, especially against a tough, tough Texas defense, I think that he has the potential to go off and have a really good game for the Crimson Tide. 
Moving on to their receivers, Isaiah Bond, potentially their wide receiver one, depending on who you ask, between him and Jermaine Burton. He had five receptions, 76 yards, and a touchdown, so he averaged 15.2 yards a carry. And I think Isaiah Bond for the Crimson Tide needs to get open in order to give Milrow a solid option because if you really think about it, Alabama is going to need to rely more on the passing game because they just don't have as much of power on the running side or like enough um, talent to show uh, based off last game that they can fully function by running the ball only. So I think that the receivers are going to need to get open and Bond getting open is going to be just the start of them just giving them like quick little routes like stop and goes I think could potentially be one of his key strong suits. And along with him, Jermaine Burton. He had three receptions, 62 yards, and a touchdown. So he averaged 20.7 yards a catch. So that could be Alabama's potential deep threat if they are potentially by down by a little bit late in the game and looked for a spark play. I think Jermaine Burton is going to get that play for him and could be the potential to get him back in the game if they go down. Now, switching the teams. Texas. On defense, last game against Rice, forced a fumble and got two interceptions. So their secondary is very speedy and very physical, which I think could be the X factor of this game for Texas's defense if they want to pull out and get a win. I think also they allowed 176 yards allowed, and they had 149 of them were passing. However, only 27 rushing yards. So I think... To stop the Alabama run would be huge for Texas and make Alabama only focus on passing. Now, for the Texas defense, we have David Gabenda. The linebacker had three solo tackles and three assisted tackles, half a sack and half a tackle per loss. So I think he's going to be flying around the field and could be the main communicator for this Texas defense. And I think he's going to need to overall show that he can lead the unit as a whole and make sure that guys are in the right positions because if not playing a team against Bama and you're not in the right position, they will expose you and show you what they're made of. So I think with him along with Ethan Burke, the defensive end, he had a solo tackle, three assisted tackles, a half, a one and a half sacks and one and a half tackles for loss. I think he needs to bring the pressure and he needs to make Milrow make quick decisions because if not, I just don't think that uh, Texas will have what it takes on the defensive side if they don't get enough pressure to and let Milrow throw all over them. I just don't think it'll be a good look for them. And to end it off, the defensive back, Malik Muhammad, he had five solo tackles and a past pass defended. My apologies. Um, for him, I think he needs to be on either Isaiah Bond or Jermaine Burton because you want a guy that can get there and overall guard him well, be physical man-to-man on him, or even in the zone, make sure you have him in your sight because if you lose one of those two receivers, it will not be good. So I think Muhammad has what it takes and will give those receivers a tough time. And overall, I just think Texas needs to own the time of possession. You can't settle for three points every drive. You need to be able to punch it in every time into the end zone. And I think the guy to do it for him is going to be Quinn Ewers, their quarterback, he was 19 for 30 
and with three touchdowns against Rice, I think he has what it takes, and he has the experience, in my opinion, over Milrow that can get the job done for Texas. And if they also want to get it into the end zone, they're going to have to rely on their two running backs. But first, we're going to start with Jaden Blue. He had 10 carries for 55 yards, so he averaged about 5.5 yards per carry. Or they can also rely on Jonathan Brooks having 12 carries, 52 yards, and 4.3 yards per carry. So you have two guys that can give you similar production for that Longhorn backfield that they're going to need to open up, even in the pass game as well, if they're going to want to have a chance to beat the Crimson Tide. Looking at their receivers, Xavier Worthy, probably their top guy. He had seven receptions, 90 yards, so he averaged 12.9 yards per catch. I think if you want a major play out of him, you're going to have to make sure you give Ewers time in the pocket to pass to him. I think Worthy is a great route runner, and I think his ability to kind of get off his man and give Ewers a solid option open almost every play is going to be a key factor for Texas. And if he's getting, if Worthy's getting covered, though, they also have Jordan Whittington. He had four receptions, 47 yards, and averaged 11.8 yards per catch. So I think he is an, also a very solid second option that if Worthy is uh, covered by either by Kool-Aid or Caleb Downs, I think Whittington, just giving you a small or a medium like route, like I think that could give you like a difference between an, an ending the drive and just extending the drive that could potentially lead you to points, which every point I think will count in this game as it'll be a close shootout. Now, my prediction for this game, I think I have Texas winning. It's going to be very close, but I have it Texas 24 to 21. Connor, what do you think this uh, score will be for this game? Uh, yeah, I do have something along the lines of what you've got. Um, I do think the key for this game is Quinier is being able to get the ball out as fast as he can from that pocket because uh, that pocket is going to collapse pretty fast against that Alabama defense. Those receivers are going to be able to get the ball. I think Texas is going to take it. I think Texas takes it 28-24. Very close. In Texas' favor as well. Gabe, what do you think the score will be? I think it's going to be 31-27 Texas. I think Texas has you know, a more complete package. I, I love Xavier Worthy. I think he's going to give Alabama trouble. He's going to be focused on them. Uh, Alabama focused on Worthy, that is. And it's really going to open up the run game for Texas. I believe that the run game will really shine in this game for Texas. I agree with that as well. I think Texas's running will be a very interesting key to this game. Cam, what do you think for the score of this game? 28-24 Alabama. You're going with Bama. I believe that if Bama stops Texas' run game, it's wraps. Wow. very. So we had one Bama guy then, but the rest of us are going Texas. Horns down. Horns down. Now. Horns down. <laughs> oh, man. Now, switching gears now to pro NFL football. Guys, week one is officially here. How are we feeling? We're Thank you. back. It's We're back. We're finally here. I can't wait. Very excited. Going over our favorite team's matchups here today. Cameron, I'm going to start off with you. Packers-Bears, one of the oldest rivalries in the NFL's history. Take it away. This is a tale old as time. A tale that is old as Virginia Hallis herself. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> the first time these two teams squared off was in 1921. Since then, they have battled 206 times. 
Green Bay unfortunately leads the Bears 105-95 to 6 and 6. My apologies. The last meeting they had was December 4th, 2022. The Packers beat the Bears 28-19. The Packers so far have won 8 in a row against the Bears. That is their second longest streak since 1994-98 where they beat them 10 times in a row. I do want to point out the Packers have won 12 of the last 13 matchups at Soldier Field, but 8 of the last Packers-Bears games at Soldier Field have ended with single-digit margins. So very, very close games in Soldier Field as well, and I think now will be very interesting to see how the rivalry shifts without Aaron Rodgers with him going to the Jets. Oh, Jordan Love. <laughs> Jordan Love. He is about to face reality that he must take over Aaron Rodgers, and take over Green Bay alone. His only career previous start was in 2021 in a 13-7 loss to Kansas City. But he played all three preseason games, hoping to be prepared as possible for this huge, huge game as a starter. Very Yes, especially like one of the first games as a starter coming up against a division rival, probably your most heated rivalry, I think, oh, will be yeah. very interesting. And then... Justin Schuyler Fields. You got it right. Good job. Justin hey. Schuyler Fields. I do not want to see a QB running back. I want to see a passer and a QB running back. I will say, <laughs> he rushed for 1,143 yards. He nearly tied Lamar Jackson's NFL record for 1,206 very but, tough to beat, I will say. But yeah. So that's hey, it shows promise and shows upside that he can be really good with both sides. He can, but he got sacked fifty five times. That's because the yeah, the off you guys' offensive line. We Ooh, are that we is are we I actually have something for you. We were dead last in passing. That does not shock me you, at all. You have a running back, a QB. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, Cameron, you know who else got sacked like 55 times? Joey. Joe Burrow, baby. Joey B. We'll get, we'll get into that there later. There, I, I have one more thing to add before I do my prediction. We have a new wide receiver one. DJ Moore. The Bears acquired him after trading the first overall pick to the Panthers. And we need him to show out or he is going to get sat down. Last year, he racked up 888 yards, 63 receptions, and 17 and seven touchdowns. And averaged 14 yards a catch. And keep in mind, he played all 17 games last year. He is expected to be the second leader of offense with Justin Fields. And I will tell you this. All of Chicago has his eyes on him. All of them. Now... All Bear fans know this. We have succumbed to the fact that Aaron Rodgers owns our franchise. But the dark times are over. Discount double check. <laughs> With you the powers of Justin Fields and the strength of Eddie Jackson and the receiving capability of DJ Moore, the Bears will pull off a 28-17 to victory. At Soldier Field. So you're going a double-digit Chicago win. Very interesting as we will keep a track of that matchup. Next, going to a, a little bit of a lower matchup <laughs> <laughs> with, the, with the Commanders and the Cardinals. Gabe, tell us about it. Well, as a Commanders fan, 
you know, that preseason, it gives me hope. I feel like Patrick Beverly right now. I, I just want to throw the confetti already. I, I, it gives me so much excitement. But this Arizona team that Washington is versing, they've had it rougher than I've seen any other team in recent years. They're projected to lose every single game. Jeez. Yeah, they are not favored, I believe, in one game. L. Yeah, it's, this, it's Caleb Williams season. Washington is no slouch. They have, of course, Terry McLaurin, who's back in pads in practice, which is humongous for us, having our number one receiver and arguably a top 10 receiver in the NFL. Last year, he had a career high of 1,191 yards, honestly, without a true quarterback one. And 77 receptions is honestly pretty high for McLaurin as he is usually used as a deep threat catch and run kind of guy again he only had five touchdowns but he's never been one to score in the end zone running back Antonio Gibson is back alongside Brian Robinson but Gibson is the one to look out for his nickname is the weapon and Eric Benetemi is gonna have a lot of fun with this guy on the football field he only he only had 149 rushes for 546 yards last year but his receiving game was a different story 46 catches 353 yards and two touchdowns I don't care who you are, 46 receptions is crazy for a running back. But Washington's offense is going to have to go against Buda Baker. And unless you're DK Metcalf, there's no stopping this man. I mean, 111 tackles for safety. He is just all over the place for this Arizona team. Now for the defense for Washington, Cam Curl is back. He was pretty injured last year, played 12 games. There's five games he missed. He was missed. Only 83 tackles and one sack. I mean, but he was just really on the field. And his coverage skills were pretty decent for what his stat line tells you. But Marquise Brown, Hollywood Brown himself, is supposed to have a breakout year in his words. He only played 12 games last last year, 67 catches on 107 targets. He had 709 yards. That's 11 yards per catch and three touchdowns pretty down year for this man but I'm really gonna go with his words that I feel like he can really do something he does not have Kyler Murray though as his quarterback it's now Josh Dobbs who has shown that he has an arm and he can move his feet so I'm very interested to see how he plays and of course James Conner had a down year in scoring compared to two years ago where he had 15 touchdowns he only had seven the, uh, last year, but still around the same yard as he had 782 yards on 183 carries in 13 games. And as well, he had 46 catches, 58 targets, 300 yards receiving and a touchdown. That's some very good numbers for a running back that would need to have another breakout year. That is very true. I completely agree with that take. I do believe Washington will pull this one out 28-14, though, despite Th- all that. Thinking the two-touchdown win for Washington, which... Honestly, don't blame you at that pick there. Arizona, I think, is going to have a very tough year. Now, going on to our final game where we have different perspectives on this one. The Battle of Ohio, the Cleveland Browns, and the Cincinnati Bengals. Connor, take it away. The 100th Battle of Ohio. Gotta love it. Got to love it. And... As of about 20 minutes ago, the highest paid player in NFL history, Boom. Mr. Joseph Burrow, 
Okay. Five-year, $275 million contract. That's a bag. That was, how do you guys feel about that one? I know I feel good about it. Honestly, yeah. I mean, that's something that you kind of been to expected because, like, Joe Burrow, I mean, he's just been playing lights out when he's been healthy in his career, like leading Cincinnati to a Super Bowl and just overall keeping him competitive in a very, very stacked AFC. I think that was just unprecedented. I think it's it was bound to happen. And I think overall for Cincinnati to lock him up, I think is good for them. Gabe, what do you think about the contract? I think it's respectable. I think he deserves it. And I think he deserves every sense of it, like every cent of it. He is a phenomenal quarterback and he is the future of Cincinnati. He really is. Now, their offensive line needs to learn that too, but yeah, that's for sure. I, I was about to say, what do you mean respectable? I'm glad you elaborated on that. <laughs> it, it's, I was I was about to have some choice words for you. But oh, I, I love Joey Burrow. Yep, that is for sure. Cam, what is your final takeaway on the contract for Joe Burrow? I think he's deserving it 100. percent I think he's one of the big futures of the NFL. I think he's a right now a top five quarterback in the NFL right now. He deserves every penny of it. No, not top three, Connor. He's not top, top three. three. Not top three. Not He's top, top three. three. It's well, a spicy it, debate. We'll there. discuss this for another time. Yeah, let's save it. But I will say, bringing the Bengals He's to the Super three. Bowl in your second year is impressive. Is very impressive. Very impressive indeed. And Connor trying to deliberate if with Burrow saying a top three. That is very interesting. That we will take a note of. But tell us about besides Joe Burrow. Who else do you guys got that you think could make an impact this week one against the Browns? So, we had a bit of an unorthodox offseason. Uh, we did get rid of, or I should say, let walk Jesse Bates and Von Bell. Both of your starting safeties. Both of our Yikes. starting safeties. A Pro Bowl safety, that is, too. Um, again, I think that was to open up space for the Joe Burrow contract, but those are two big losses. They they showed up in the playoffs for us. Um so there are going to be new faces at safety this year. Uh, Dax Hill being one of them, uh, drafted last year out of Michigan, had a pretty solid season at nickel corner. Um, and then Nick Scott, new face for the Bengals, drafted 2019 out of Penn State to the L.A. Rams. And he's going to look to try and make his mark with two rookies coming in. And there's a lot of new additions that we got through this draft this year. Uh, cornerback D.J. Turner out of Michigan. Uh, actually, the fastest... 40 in the combine it was a 4-2-4 i believe she that's, that's blazing fast speed i pray to god that it's not a john ross situation again. <laughs> <laughs> um and then we have the one that i'm more excited about mr jordan battle out of alabama a third round pick a steal i think such a great pick a very good steal yeah. indeed he was lights out in college it was it was a perfect fit honestly you guys need safety and you didn't have to reach for one you laid back for one yeah which is rare because they usually don't fall to us. Uh, and we used our first-round pick on a future guy, uh, defensive end Miles Murphy out of Clemson, who had a standout year last year. Uh, and then with the ongoing situation with Joe Mixon, I think that is why we drafted Chase Brown out of Illinois, running back. Uh, throughout the preseason, he looked pretty solid. But as we see, Joe Mixon took a pay cut to stay with the team. He does have a lot of off-the-field issues right now, and I think that pick is a safety net. Uh, Chase Brown staying with his team is definitely going to be good for us throughout the playoffs in case Joe Mixon does have some kind of, like I said, legal stuff come up. Uh, and I think our draft this year really helped our really helped our depth chart get a little a little deeper 
so to say. Uh, I still do believe we do have the best wide receiver trio in the league with Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd. It's tough to argue against. I will say that. I would believe I mean I'd agree with that take. Even being a Browns fan that they have one of the best receiving cores in the NFL. And I think it's there's just, just it's just there to prove for sure. It's undoubtedly top three. Yeah. And then tight end position. Now Hayden Hurst filled the filled the role of CJ Uzama, who I think was a very important part of this offense in our Super Bowl run. Um but Irv Smith Jr., former Viking, takes over that position this year. I like his upside this year. Uh, he Before TJ Hawkinson came to the Vikings, I do think he had a pretty large role because Kirk Cousins is a very tight end, heavy quarterback. We saw that in Washington. And I don't know. I think Irv Smith is going to have a really good year this year. Um, but one of the biggest things this offseason is, Again, like Gabe said, with our offensive line being the main issue every single year. It's, yeah, it seems to be like a constant. Yeah, I no matter who we sign. But this year, I think it'll be a little different because we did a little steal from the Kansas City Chiefs. Mr. Orlando Brown Jr. at left tackle, four years, $64 million. Now, that, that front office tends to not drop a bag. But they dropped a bag for a good reason this time. They've and dropped they, a couple, actually. I yeah, won't say they mentioned. And a number, uh, another one has to be coming up. I mean, yeah, potentially yep. even two if you really think There's about it. There's Chase or Higgins. I mean, I don't think we're going to be able to keep both of them, sadly. I think you guys are going to let Higgins go. It's, I mean, you kind of have as to. Mu- as much as it pains me to let T go, we're probably going to have to let him go, which I really don't want to do. But moving on, our defensive side of the ball, Chidobi Awuzie. Returning to the lineup after a season-ending ACL tear last year. He is a key player for this team. From what I believe in his last healthy season, he had a top five corner season. What many people think is a hot take, a very hot take. I think he I think he was a top five corner in his last healthy season. That's very arguable. Uh, I see it. I, I, I see everyone giving me looks yeah, right now. Yeah. That could be very, very arguable of a yeah. take. I will say that. Um and Coming up for this game, uh, offensive tackle Lyle Collins remains out for Cleveland, where we have to sub in my favorite person ever, Jonah Williams, and he is going to get eaten alive by Miles Garrett. Yay. Oh, don't get me too excited. And Zedaria Smith. Great. Both of them, which I will go over here in a second. Yes. What is your final prediction for the game? What are you thinking? Um... I it's been a very tough last couple of years playing the Browns. Joe Burrow is one and four against them. Uh, he does have pretty good stats against them, but I do not. Yes, I know. I see Jonah Williams right there. <laughs> that's a form of first round pick. You don't believe in your first round pick? Uh. He's terrible. He's terrible. <laughs> He's terrible. But I do think the Bengals come out on top. I think it's going to be a pretty. I I think Watson's going to have a good game. I think it's going to be a, a great game to watch. I'm going to go with 35-31 Bengals. Very very high scoring. I mean, it's going to be a great matchup. I think. Who day? Ugh, yikes! I'm on the opposite end of that one. The Cleveland Browns. Obviously, for us this off season, it was a goal of to get to the playoffs, get back to where we were from 2020, and just overall. 
we got to be higher than that. We just have to be better, especially since now that we have Deshaun Watson and a full offseason of just getting work in. I think, honestly, he's going to be a better quarterback because now he's had a full time to be with the team, be with the system, chemistry. I think that was a very key part that he was missing last year. However, his weapons, though, he has a bunch of weapons. Amari Cooper. Ooh, our wide receiver one, I think he needs to have a big game against Cincinnati's secondary in order for us to get the win. In 17 games, he did have 78 receptions out of 132 total targets, 1,160 yards, and he averages 14.9 yards a catch with nine touchdowns last season, along with no fumbles, which is something very key to look about, that he's not a guy to give, give up takeaways. But honestly, I think for this team... Even I think just catching the ball and just passing the ball isn't going to do us all of our justice. Last year, we were mainly a run-focused team, and rightfully so with our running back, Nick Chubb. Running back out of Georgia, man. He has been a blessing to all Browns fans these past couple of years. Just overall being a guy we could always rely on to be high and always get heavy targets. Not heavy targets, my, my apologies heavy uh, workload and just overall just destroy opposing defenses. It's been a great thing to see as a Browns fan for sure. But in order to be competitive in these types of games and having a high-flying offense that we have now, we need to have a defense that can step up in the right times and make it difficult for opposing offenses and teams we play against. And obviously that has to start with team captain Miles Garrett. And he was second in sacks last year with 16 total sacks, which is not a low number, I think. He is our main guy for the pass rush. I mean, and he especially loves playing against Cincinnati. In his five career games, he's had eight sacks, two forced fumbles, six tackles for loss, and 14 QB hits. I can see you looking at me like you're just in disbelief. It's it's not fun having to line up against Miles Garrett twice a year. Absolutely, it is not. But however, you will he has help this year. Zadarius Smith, as you mentioned earlier, we traded him for two fifth round draft picks, one in 2024 and one in 2025. I think he is going to be a great complimentary piece along with Miles Garrett, to bring the pressure to Cincinnati's, I would say, crumbling offensive line, even with the addition of Orlando Brown Jr. I still think he was I mean, he was one of the five players with double-digit sacks in three of the past four years. Miles Garrett was also on that list, so facing two of the top five guys on that list is a very heavy task and I think will be a huge advantage for us but just besides getting pressure, we need our secondary to play good, and I think we have the guys to get it done. Denzel Ward, who is questionable for the game with a concussion, has practiced the past two days, giving me some hope that he will be on the field to guard Jamar Chase in a game where we we really need him. I think Denzel is obviously our cornerback one, and usually against Jamar, he plays pretty good, but I think... I mean, you never know. It's a game-to-game thing. I just think he needs to be on the field for us to have just a greater chance at overall winning the game, especially in the secondary. 
But if he is out, we do have two very reliable cornerback options in Greg Newsom and Martin Emerson Jr., which for Martin Emerson Jr., I believe he is my um, higher pick for a breakout player of the year for our defense. I think he's going to have a higher role with this team, and I think overall as the season goes on, he's just going to keep getting better and better, which I believe is going to help this team in the long run. But also, if you're a Cleveland fan, you know our kicking struggles these past couple of years, trying to find a kicker that can be consistent has been one of very difficult measures to try and get done. Katie York was cut by the team, and we just wanted a better option and a more consistent option. And I think our new pickup of Dustin Hopkins is a very good pickup indeed. He had 79.4 field goal percentage in his last fully healthy year in 2020. And I just believe if he stays on the field and he stays healthy, I just think he could be the deciding factor of a certain amount of games this season just because of his ability to hit it from around 40, 50 yards, which in most games for us does not go in if we have to rely on a kicker. So I think if it comes down to that this game, I'm very confident in Dustin Hopkins to get the job done. Now, my overall prediction for this matchup may be a little bit shocking to some of you in this room. I think Cleveland will make a statement this game. I think overall, just with the high-flying offense and a sneaky, sneaky Elijah Moore that we have, I think this team is going to take care of business at home in Cleveland Brown Stadium and win 28-10. to 10? 10? 10, 10 points. points? I'm 10. relying on the defense, I think. One of the best offenses <laughs> very in the league. very disrespectful to Joe Barrow. Wow. But you guys never, you guys usually don't play that good against us. I just have That's a lot of hope word. in this team. Usually is the key word. Ooh, I just Joe I, I have a, a lot of faith in this team. That's Joe. for certain. Hey, all I'm gonna lead, all I'm gonna end it off with is Joe Burrow just got a bag, and I'm pretty sure he just had an engagement announcement. He's on different timing this year. Oh wow! Expect it. Wow! Expect MVP that is, Burrow. That is for sure. It'll be regardless. I think a great game in Cleveland. Now to kind of switch. Switch topics here a little bit, kind of get into our fantasy football teams. We are all in a league with some of our friends, and I think it would be a great time to kind of just mention our lineups a little bit, kind of think, what's your guys' favorite players out of your whole entire starting lineup? Connor, I'm going to start with you. How, what do you like about your lineup? Um, Unfortunately, I did get two quarterbacks that I wanted poached from me, one being Joe Burrow and the other one being Trevor Lawrence. But I did end up with my boy Jay Erbo, Justin Herbert. Now, Aaron Jones and Damian Pierce rule my backfield. I do like them in the backfield. Damian Pierce did have a great season last year, and I'm expecting him to break out. With the number one overall pick, I took Jay Jettas. I think Justin, a no-brainer. That is a no-brainer. Justin Jefferson. Um, then A.J. Brown to round out that receiving core. Uh, Dalton Schultz. A little sleeper tight end, but I think he's going to do numbers in Houston with Stroud. Absolutely, I agree. I think he'd be Stroud's security blanket that I think he could help him develop in his rookie year, so I think he'll get a lot of targets. Yeah, and then at flex, I have James Conner. Uh, the Jets' defense, I think the Jets' defense is poised for a really, really good season. 
And then I have Harrison Butker rounding out the lineup. And one of my sleepers that I would like to highlight, actually, no, two. I've got Danny Dimes on the bench. I think Danny's prime. You're rolling with Danny Dimes yes, on the bench. So you have a lot of confidence in him, I see. Yes, I do. And then Drake London, wide receiver one in Atlanta with with uh, whatever his name is. Uh, what's his Desmond name? Ritter. Desmond Ritter. That's who it is. I, I was thinking Mariota. Oh, no. Uh, that was a shaky situation yeah, for Atlanta. Uh, yeah, wow. Yeah. Uh, but now that I think... Now that I think they have their guy at quarterback, I think Ritter is going to be their guy for a little while. I think him and London get that connection. So I'm excited for this fantasy season. I'm definitely not losing. You think the former Cincinnati Bearcat QB will get him a lot of targets? I think that's a great point. Absolutely. Gabe, let's take a look at your lineup, which to most is very controversial. By controversial, if you mean uh, I am predicted to be at the Waffle House oh. in February. Uh, For everybody who does not know, we our fantasy punishment is we have to spend 24 hours in a Waffle House, which kind of ups the stakes for a lot of us, especially considering our busy schedules. So, Gabe, how are you trying to avoid the Waffle House? Uh, pray. Pray is, how, <laughs> pray is the number one answer. Uh, Did you pray today? You know, I... I I want to start out with Travis Kelsey being my first overall pick, um, my first round pick. He's out. I have Mark Andrews. That's great. He's questionable. Uh, Better hope he plays. Yeah, tight end heavy. Will Howe, he's versing Arizona, so hopefully he's poised for some Ben Roethlisberger type rookie stuff. Excuse me, who's Will Howe? <laughs> I was oh, about to say, Sam Howe. I have Sam Howe. My bad. I have Sam Howe. Oh, God. Go. Wow. I'm just like, I have Sam Howe. Running back, Jameer Gibbs. I mean, they're using the Lions are right now using David Montgomery like he's Derrick Henry, so that's not looking <laughs> too nice. Um, Koo is my kicker. And it's looking like he could be a top five player on my team. <laughs> oh, wow. That's hey. that's saying some of your kicker is one of your best players on your entire roster. <sighs> Who? Before we get into your sleepers, you have a, you have a nice guy on your bench that is actually retired. Would oh, you like to go into that? So, for the giggles and laughs, um, I have Kelsey on IR for week one. So, for the laughs, I picked up Ben Roethlisberger. He is my third quarterback behind <laughs> Sam Howe and Anthony Richardson. AR-15 season, baby. Oh, boy. Oh, God. And I, I think I, I, you know, it's just so bad. My my sleeper is Calvin Ridley. Um, I feel like he's going to have another great year like he did in Atlanta, and I feel like he's going to pick up the play for not himself, but... Not just himself, but Trevor Lawrence as well. He's going to be outstanding, in my opinion. Absolutely, and he needs to stay away from from his off-the-field antics that got him suspended for last year for sure. Cam, what is your lineup looking like? What are some of your sleepers? Before, I, I want to point out this is the first draft that I have never drafted a Bears player. Really? Yes, never. That's shocking. Wow. So, quarterback, Joe... Burrow, you thief. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> thief. Somebody's not happy about that one. My two backs are Tony Pollard and the one and only David Montgomery. I have Jamar Chase and Devontae Smith as my receivers. Very, very good. And I'll get in my tight end letter, but my kicker is the holy of all holy kickers, Justin Tucker. Justin Tucker, probably the clutchest kicker in NFL history. That is for certain. I will now. My tight end is Kyle Pitts. 
I don't know who the Atlanta quarterback is. Desmond Ritter. We Desmond just, Ritter. We, we went just, over this. Yeah. We yeah. probably just, just said, said it like Ritter. two to three minutes ago. Well, that's good because Desmond Ritter better ball out or I swear. I, I swear. Oh, this is going to be a rough one. My dark horses are George Pickens and Kirk Cousins. Kirk wow. Cousins. Wow. Coco Chains Kirk making Coco it Coco the Chains. The backup QB as a sleeper. Wow. Yeah. That's a very interesting one to note as well. My squad, I'm actually pretty happy with how my squad came out. Starting quarterback, Lamar Jackson. I think his dual threat ability will be clutch, that's for sure. Um, running back, Austin Eckler and Derrick Henry. I think those are going to be two very good backs for me. Receivers, Jalen Waddle and Chris Olave. I think they're both respectively going to get targets um, on that front. And then the tight end and flex, I had to go hometown. David Njoku and Amari Cooper. Love my guys. I think they're going to get a lot of catches for my squad. And then for my defense and kicker, Patriots defense, I think you can never go wrong with New England's defense. I think they've usually been pretty solid the past couple of years. And then for kicker, I have Tyler Bass out of Buffalo for potential high-scoring offense. My sleepers, I think I have two sleepers on this team. Michael Thomas, hoping that he goes back into his Great form that he had a couple years ago. And then Dalvin Cook. He could potentially get a lot of carries out of this revamped New York Jets offense. So kind of preying on those two factors as well. We should talk about Najoku. Who did you trade to get, David? N- David Nj- Fun fact. I traded Pat Fryermuth for David Njoku. Because, fun fact, my roommate is a Steelers fan, so he... He drafted Njoku. I drafted Fryermuth, and we're just like, you know what? I was I wanted Njoku. I'm like, you know what? I'll offer you up straight up. Took the offer to my surprise, and I am overall thinking I won the trade just because I think Njoku is more of an end zone threat. Yeah, shout out to Dom. Shout, shout out to Dom for, to Dom shout for out sure. To Dom. Shout out to Dom picking. Nick Chubb and Josh Jacobs back to back. He got oh he had back to backs. He had crazy back to backs. Wow. I don't know how he got both of them. I don't know, but he's probably very happy with his backs, as I am for sure. But guys, that is the end of episode one of Stirring the Pot. I'd like to thank you guys all for listening here and being with us today. Guys, any final thoughts for before we end it? Go Bears. Burrow for MVP, baby. Chiefs are not looking so good. <laughs> yeah, go Lions. Go Lions. Go Lions, for sure, in that Thursday night yeah, game. They're up 7 nothing. so let's see what happens. They are currently, oh. 7-7. Seven, seven. Seven. Oh, it's 7-7, seven, seven. yeah. Seven, seven, seven. Oh, yeah, he did score. Oh, wow. Boy. They did score, and Lions just fumbled not too long ago. So Wow. Hey, I'm telling you, Amon Ross St. Brown, heck of a receiver. Playing the slot right now. He's <laughs> He is ridiculous right now. That is for certain. Well, guys, great to be with all of you as usual, and we will see you on the next episode. See you later, guys. See ya. Peace out, y'all.